humans. This is Not A Robot's Marvel Comics Weekly Review Show. My name is Kirk, and I knew Dr. Nemesis in high school, and yes, he was an asshole then. Uh, and this week, I am joined by my excellent co-host, Brandon. Hello, everyone. I'm just your friendly neighborhood Brandon looking to review some comics. <laughs> this week, we've got the latest installment in the Heroes Reborn event, followed by a star-studded cast of Marvel Comics. But before we get going, I just want to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters who help out with a dollar or more a month. And thank you listeners too. Like, download, and share our episodes so we get more listeners and can bring you more content. You can get access to our Patreon and the rest of the Not A Robot shows at notarobotpodcast.com. You can catch us on Twitter at notarobot and send in show mail to notarobotcomics at gmail.com. Before we get started, is there anything in the news, Brandon? Um, I don't have anything major, I guess, just, um, I, I noticed that there was a, a new, uh, trailer for Loki, which looked very, very exciting. I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, I, I saw the new Loki trailer. It's, it's a, like a flash trailer. It's like only a minute long mm -hmm. and we've seen most of it so far, but it had some fun jokes and, uh, bringing in, uh, Miss Minutes, the, the, Time Variance Authority's mascot was fun. Yeah. Uh, the only news I have is just some some news about comics coming later this year. Uh, they've been sort of dripping a lot of the news on the August issue number ones that are coming. Mm -hmm. uh, so this August we're going to be getting The Trial of Magneto, which sounds interesting. Oh yeah. We are also going to be getting a new Darkhawk number one uh, that... They have revealed a new person is taking up the mantle of Darkhawk. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also getting Tech on Avengers, which if you <laughs> haven't seen uh, what it is, it it just looks gorgeous. I don't know what it yeah. is. It, it At first I was worried that it was another Avengers mech strike. And it might I end was up... thinking the same thing. <laughs> and it might end up... I was up... like, oh no... Yeah, it might end up being the same thing. And this one, they've even announced that there is a toy tie-in with it. However, mm -hmm. it's Bandai Spirit's uh, figure arts collection, who make gorgeous premium figures from things like anime and Gundam and things like that. So mm -hmm. there's a good chance these are going to be some high-quality figure tie-ins. And I'm a sucker for things like Gundams, so we'll see how that, oh, yeah. uh, how that turns out. Yeah, no, I, I, I've only, I've only ever built the, uh, the one Gundam, um, like assembly. I, I don't know. I always forget what they're called. Like the assembly kits. One of my friends got one for my birthday, um, and uh, and I've always wanted to collect more of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love building uh, Gunpla. Um, mm. 
they're a lot of fun. And so if these are build kits or just figures, I think I'm going to be excited about them. Though they might awesome. burn a hole in my wallet, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, might be worth it. And then last uh, new announcement that I have on my list is we're getting a Kang series. Yeah. Kang the Conqueror number one coming this August as part of a five-part series. And some of the preview art for this one also looks really outstanding. Oh, absolutely. And um, yeah, interesting choice for a, for a miniseries, Kang of all people, but... I'll be interested to see, you know, what kind of um, what kind of story they're interested in telling. Mm-hmm. And it looks like whatever story they are telling is going to be at least somewhat tied to the several different Kangs that we know, including Iron Lad, mm-hmm. which is always really exciting. Oh yeah, it's always good. It's always good to see Iron Lad, in the good old Young Avengers. Um, I, I actually had one more. Um, number one to plug that's coming out in august that was uh, just announced yesterday i believe which is a new uh five issue defender series right um from al ewing and javier rodriguez which is a, a very killer team um javier rodriguez did beautiful work on the the history of the marvel universe series which is kind of the first time i really saw his stuff and then you know you know al ewing from like the 15 books he's doing right now, but um, he, he did a kind of like a cool five part uh, mini event, I guess you could call it um, called defenders, the best defense, I think two years ago. Um, and they've kind of been dropping, you know, hints that the defenders would be coming back and they tease this image of the defenders by Javier Rodriguez a little while back. And everyone was speculating that, you know, Ewing was going to write it and, now this is the official announcement, but I think that's the one I'm definitely the, the most excited for. Is that the one that back in February they released the the tarot card roster? Yeah, that that's the one. With, um, oh, it had oh, it was a defenders roster. Who stood out to me in that one? It had Hulk, Silver Surfer. Uh, I think it had Moon Dragon on it. Yeah, it was it was kind of like a weird. Uh weird cast i'm i'm trying to find the the photo um but they they have the i mean i don't know if this is you know the official official cast but the cast that's at least on the cover that they've released which is um dr strange the masked raider silver surfer um betty ross and another like cosmic character in the background that i'm not really sure who that is but it's like someone who has like black cosmic skin and is kind of made of smoke or something like that oh that one doesn't jump out at me as a uh yeah as who i should know <laughs> all right well but yeah some some pretty exciting stuff in august yeah it's awesome that uh that ewing is going to be writing that one yeah and and i think i'm personally just glad it's a it's a five issue series and not an ongoing Cause it's like if I just if I had another ongoing, it would just it might be too much. But at least you know you're gonna get like a complete story that you know I hope is gonna be pretty solid and, and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and if that roster that they teased back in a couple months ago with the Hulk mm-hmm. on it, having you know Betty Ross and the Hulk in another Ewing series right after Immortal Hulk is ending. Oh, yeah. I I think I think it's uh, some. Oh, there's some good hope there that we're going to get some continuity there from the Immortal Hulk even after it finishes. So I'm I'm excited for that. Yeah, 
that would that would be a real treat. Yeah, I'm still trying to find it. If if I if I find it later, maybe I'll I'll share it on Slack or something. But um, but yeah, no, some some really cool stuff in the works. Awesome. All right, now I guess we can get into our reviews for the day, and we're going to start with our Heroes Reborn newsflash. This is our special segment where we're just going to do a quick coverage on the Heroes Reborn event uh, because there's going to be a lot of comics coming fast and furious over the next little while and we don't want to spend all year talking about them. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so this, in our Heroes Reborn newsflash this week, we are covering Heroes Reborn number two uh, by Jason Aaron uh, with Dale McKeown, Ed McGinnis, uh, and Carlos Magno on art, Edgar Delgado on color, Corey Petita on lettering, and pencils by Scott Hanna, Carlos Magno, and Mark Morales. Mm. We've also got Heroes Reborn number three by Jason Aaron, Federico Vicentini, Ed McGinnis on uh, art, colors by Matt Mila and Matthew Wilson, Corey Petit on letters, and Mark Morales on ink. Uh, then we've got the Hyperion Heroes Reborn issue number one tie-in by Ryan Cady uh, with Michael Bandini on art, Eric Arcaniega on colors, Corey Petit on letters, and ink by Elizabeth, Elizabetta D'Amico and Michael Bandini. And then we've got Heroes Reborn Peter Parker the Amazing Shutterbug number one by <laughs> Mark Bernardin with art by Rafael Della Torre and Ron Lim. With Jim Campbell on colors, Ariana Mar on letters, and Scott Hanna on inks. Heroes Reborn continues where we left off before in a universe without Avengers. We have two tie-in issues and two of the core storyline issues. The core storyline issues focus on members of the Squadron Supreme this time with small ending segments tying into the Avengers we're used to seeing or the Avengers we uh, expect to see. Heroes Reborn number two covers uh, an adventure of Hyperion uh, exploring you know, some of the threats he's used to seeing and how things are going in this universe and how he is just the good old American boy mm. uh, and culminates with a fight against the Hulk which alludes that the Hulk realizes what's wrong. Hulk is broken free from the negative zone and Hulk knows that Hyperion and him not only used to be friends, but that this isn't the world. Something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that issue finishes with uh, Blade and Captain America having a talk about what they have to do next. Because now Cap is out of the ice, and he agrees with Blade, something isn't right here. Yep, and rocking a sweet beard, too. Right? Uh and then in Heroes Reborn number three, we get a lot more detail on the character of Blur and what it's like to be him and how he is a magic speedster in this reality. Uh, he has mastered all the teachings of the, the Vishanti and he has very Doctor Strangeisms, like saying the, the hot-footed heels of Hogoth and <laughs> things like that. And yeah. we see him battle through the dark dimension against the Silver Witch to try and reclaim his soul and his flashbacks to fighting Johnny Blaze, the Ghost Runner. 
<laughs> up the penance stairs. I I can't make this up. <laughs> God. And that one ends with showing us that there is another person staying in Ravencroft. A person who knows who also knows that this world isn't right. It is Echo and the Phoenix, who just became the Phoenix at the last issue of Jason Aaron's Avengers. Interesting. She talks about how mm. she worries that this happened right as she became the Phoenix. And mm. that she somehow broke the old world. But she's not sure. And it ends with Captain America at, approaching her saying, we're building a team. The tie-in issues for this one, we have a Hyperion flashback ish- issue, which shows him uh, going with the Imperial Guard to fight the Brood in what is only just a disastrous mission. And then there is a second half to that issue that focuses on what's new with the Star Jammers in this universe. And both of those are just decent stories that don't really contribute a lot to the ongoing adventure. And then we get the Peter Parker, the Amazing Shutterbug tie-in. In In this one, we have Peter Parker learning learning that in this universe where he did not become a superhero... The types of threats that Spider-Man used to deal with, the small, you know, let's say, let's be honest, loser villains, now have to get (laughs) dealt with by Squadron Supreme level threats. So Hyperion can and will show up and drop a billboard on them, which also includes dropping a billboard on the building nearby, killing Aunt May. Right. Peter devotes his life to becoming a superhero photographer to make sure that someone's capturing the damage that the superheroes are doing. And in the end of this issue, he does get bitten by a spider and something interesting happens to him, which culminates in the closest thing to an emotional impact that this issue has. I'm not going to spoil it here for you, Uh, but it really makes him the, um, this is where my DC week, uh, the Jimmy Olsen to, to Superman Ah, or to Hyperion's Superman. He he really you know he greets Superman like hey old buddy hey hey friend jolly golly gee yeah. <laughs> yeah no they were really laying it on there um, and that's the update in the Heroes Reborn universe as far as reviews on these issues I think they're fine I honestly I don't I don't have a severe enough dislike for them to uh, to really criticize them very difficult or with very much mm. scrutiny. Um, they have fun and some of them, they're couched in that alternate universe love affair that, you know, we as comic book fans, we do love reading, you know, a a twist on like, oh, this is the universe where Scarlet Witch absorbed her brother's powers. And that, that, that is cool to read on like a fundamental level, but it doesn't necessarily land with any impact. And the... The Squadron Supreme are not doing it for me. Hyperion being just American apple pie. Literally, he's got... There's one panel in this book where he's got an American flag in a heat-proof capsule that he takes with him to sit on the surface of the sun with so he can recharge his powers and meditate next to an American flag. And it's just so... Yeah, it's very jingoistic. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's, it's they're not even trying to hide it. Uh, yeah, and so I'm not going to go through individually, but I will say none of these issues scored higher than a seven for me. 
Um, I won't say that any of them really scored below a six, maybe. I, I might be being generous here. The, their biggest offense was dullness. Uh, I I gotta say, I'm almost a little excited for Heroes Reborn number four, because I want to see what Echo's gonna do as the Phoenix. Like, that's that's new. And that's something that Jason Aaron specifically set up in his Avengers run. So I kind of hope that this whole bit here is is just a elaborate set dressing to to wow us with that but my final thoughts on heroes reborn in its current state is if you want to read heroes reborn go read house of m uh yes yeah that that <laughs> i swear i was i was gonna say the same thing i was like if you want a, a better version of this just read house of m uh or, or yeah that that that's that's really it um I kind of share the same thoughts as you. Uh, I I I didn't even. I, I told Kirk before we started. I didn't even make it as far as Heroes Reborn three, just because I had read Heroes Reborn two and um, and the Amazing Shutterbug, and I, I was just like, I don't really feel like reading this anymore um, because it felt very, I don't know, just kind of not that interesting in, in an event on autopilot. And like I said, once you kind of get over the gimmick of it's, you know, they're just like the DC heroes and look at all these similarities they have. Like, oh, Hyperion has his own Jimmy Olsen and he's kind of working for a Daily Planet type thing, except it's the Daily Bugle. And it's just, I don't know, it wasn't working for me and the presentation is just not interesting enough for me to really feel any kind of way. So I, I ended up giving pretty much both of these issues about a six out of 10. They're kind of interchangeable. Uh, nothing really interesting to say about either of them. Mm -hmm. One thing that I will shout out just because it gave me a laugh, the depiction of blur in this series, I think he describes himself as he's got the attention span of a hummingbird on meth. <laughs> Cause he, yeah. every moment is so exhausting for him to experience at a hundred times normal speed. So he's watching like 45 TVs at once while simultaneously texting 14 people and setting a high score in Pac-Man. And he's, so he, he's talking about all this and it's a very interesting like take on a speedster. Who's a little, not all there, Yeah, but he does get simultaneously when he's, his monologues, I will say this was an interesting part in this issue. He, uh, he'll he start talking, and then it'll just segue into, it all happened while I was fighting these uh, evil bears in Russia. Wait, why am I telling you this again? Where were we? Oh, wait, we were... S Silver Witch, this isn't that. Did this even happen yet? I can't even tell what present I'm in. Like, he's not all there, and it's a really cool angle for a speedster. So... But the and the other thing that kind of rubs salt in the wound of this is we're not going to get that. Yeah. We're going to get one issue of this speedster being like, uh, ah, things aren't all right here. Ha ha. And then... And then that'll be it. Yeah. So uh, anything that's remotely like, okay, I could read this. We know it's going to go away again because it's a paper-thin DC rip-off tie-in. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it just just disappointing, really, is all I will say. All right, time for our full review section, and we're going to start with a really good one here today. 
We've got oh, yeah. Way of X, brought to us by Cy Spurrier on writing, Bob Quinn on art, Hava Tartaglia on colors, and Clayton Cowles on lettering. This is a sequel that picks up where the last Way of X left off, with Nightcrawler going as on behalf of Xavier to address Legion. Legion, as some of you may know, the insane child of Xavier. Mm-hmm. But but don't call him Legion. He doesn't like that. No, he's got 308 names, but Legion is the one he doesn't like. <laughs> but in this, we, you know, uh, we have Legion sort of explain to Nightcrawler that he... Something very bad is about to happen, he can tell. And he tells Nightcrawler that... He can't help Nightcrawler unless Nightcrawler does a favor first. A favor for a favor, as becomes a a motif in this. Mm. But then he also tells Nightcrawler, you have ten minutes to stop me from destroying the world or something terrible is going to happen. So Nightcrawler immediately goes back to Krakoa and puts together a team as fast as he can. We see a brief scene of Dr. Nemesis, Dazzler, and... Uh, Fabian Cortez giving giving grief to each other. Uh, and that's a good one. If you've been paying attention to Sword, Fabian Cortez, oh, yeah. being here, getting uh, having Dr. Nemesis try to sell him on experimental brain drugs. It's just... <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I just, I love how, like, how absolutely blasé Dr. Nemesis is towards uh, Fabian. Because he's literally, he's just like, oh, I got fired. Like, I, I don't even know what to do. And he's like, conversely, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> right? He, I think he says, he's like, I'm just here because you look dejected and dejected people are more willing to put up with my, like, experiments. <laughs> like, it's just, uh, <laughs> oh, it's, it's great. But, uh, so... Nightcrawler puts together his team of Dr. Nemesis. He grabs Pixie, and he also grabs... Is that it, or, or do they bring one more person? I'm... Uh, I, yeah, I believe it's just um, Nightcrawler and, and Pixie. Right, Nightcrawler, Pixie, and, and Nemesis. Nemesis. Yeah. yeah. So they go, and they go to the desert, and they find where Legion is being kept. It's an Orcus facility. And... Orcus, we discover, you know, everyone here is dead. Legion has long since taken care of them. And there's a mass instability. And they get a chance to figure out what was happening. And it looks like they... Looks like they're using Legion's brain to run some kind of scientific endeavor. Mm -hmm. Uh, They speak to sort of the projection of Legion. And they get to glimpse inside Legion's mind and they see this society that is crumbled and is there's destruction everywhere. And they see the sort of post post scarcity nightmare of, of a society without limits and without, um, without limitations, without anything stopping them that they become, a horrible society that things fall apart and everything becomes terrifying. Yeah. 
And that's when they come to the realization that that's the future of Krakoa. They're using his brain to run a time-lapse pro- projection on the future of Krakoa. And it doesn't look good. <laughs> and, however, Dr. Nemesis does realize one thing. That's not a true projection of Krakoa. It is Krakoa plus an invasive species. Or an invasive element. Something that will accelerate the decline of Krakoa. But they don't have time to properly explore that in the moment. Things are falling apart. And they realize what needs to be done. Legion needs to be killed. Yeah. Before that happens, Nightcrawler and Legion share a conversation where Nightcrawler talks about his relationship with his name. The name that was used to mock him for his blue skin. His wormy appearance and how he made it his own and now now he's proud to be called nightcrawler and he relates to legion on a level and legion who we know is in most cases kind of deranged seems to have a general genuine soft spot for uh for our boy kurt here mm-hmm. and this issue culminates with uh nightcrawler sending dr nemesis and pixie away because he is going to do what he couldn't do in the first issue. He's going to take a life. And we see him shoot Legion's brain. And it is a gut-wrenching scene. It's just a gut punch. Oh, yeah. To see Nightcrawler with a gun, knowing that everything in his... Everything he's been taught about... Life, the sanctity of life, God, religion, all of it. He has to throw out the window in this moment to not only save the world, but in to save Legion. The only way to bring to save him from what he's currently going through would be to bring him back on Krakoa. Yeah, and to even you know try and ask for forgiveness from God, only to basically just give up at the end and say never mind. It's like like you said, it was it's gut wrenching. It's it's uh it's it it really tugs at my heartstrings and and before we started recording I told Kirk I was just like oh I just want to hop into the comic and give give Nightcrawler a hug cuz it's just like he's just been through the ringer and has to process so many different questions about what he believes and what he wants to believe and I just feel like he doesn't know how to handle it and ugh I just feel bad for him Right, I absolutely agree. He's he's in a rough spot, and he's only going to get, I think, worse before it gets better. As we see in sort of these, um, the full page, I'm not sure what to call them, epigraphs, I think? Yeah, the, the infographics. Yeah, we see writings of what can only be Kurt talking about his experience killing someone, mm-hmm. and how this is the start of a journey. It's something that Kurt has written down in the future to describe where he, where he arrives. And I don't think it's going to get better right away for him. Oh yeah. Because Legion does get brought back in Krakoa and it's pretty crazy how they, that scene too. It's really like it, it, it rides the emotion that they generated with seeing Kurt kill Legion by, it makes it this folklorish resurrection that, Everyone on Krakoa felt the death of Legion. All of their hair yeah. stood on end, and the five stopped immediately what they were doing and went immediately to resurrecting Legion, despite not being told by anyone that that's what they're going to do. Oh, yeah. Like, 
if it wasn't if you weren't tense watching Kurt shoot someone, they made sure that you were like that they reminded you this is tense. Something big just happened. Yeah, like this is an omega level mutant being reborn, a reality warping mutant, you know, being reborn, and it's 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 tense, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then after the five resurrect him, Xavier tries to put his foot down that he's not going to reestablish Legion's con- uh, consciousness into the body. But we know Legion, and we've seen Legion come back from death before. He puts his mind in his body anyway, because he's just capable of things like that. Mm. And in this moment, we see an- another really powerful scene where Xavier wants to talk to uh, Legion, and Legion is now proud to be called, or proud to use the name. He insists on it, in fact. But he doesn't want to talk to Xavier. He doesn't trust Xavier. He doesn't think Xavier knows what's going on. And he doesn't trust Magneto either. But the person he does trust is Kurt, Nightcrawler. And as we said in the beginning, a favor for a favor. He is now going to help Nightcrawler help with the souls and minds of Krakoa. Because now they know what's coming. They've seen what the Patchwork Man is. They've seen what the hostile, invasive element is. And somehow, we're hyped for this, against all odds, <laughs> it's frickin' Onslaught. Oh god, I know, <laughs> from the crap 90s event. What is it, Onslaught? Un- is it Onslaught Unleashed? I, I, I always forget the name. I want to say Onslaught Unleashed, but in my head it always corrects to Age of Onslaught, and I'm like, no, that's yeah, it's not the one. It's not the look. Yeah, it's 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 one of those like just kind of run of the mill one. Although ironically, you know, we're talking about Heroes Reborn, and if I remember correctly, Onslaught led to the the. Uh, Heroes Return and then Heroes Reborn, kind of early 90s thing, where they were in the alternate Franklin Richards pocket dimension, which was basically just the excuse to get a bunch of um, like 90s image creators to work on books like Liefeld and Jim Lee and those guys. And then when that didn't sell, they brought them back. And that's when you had the first, I think, um, either Heroes Reborn or Heroes Return. Um, and that's kind of, that, that's that's basically when they had them you know, kind of reborn into the Marvel Universe after Onslaught killed them. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm just as shocked as you are. I can't believe I'm at least interested and, and excited to see what you could do with an Onslaught story, uh, uh, introducing him as a plot element in Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited. And I did just look it up. Onslaught Unleashed was the, uh, the 2006 one. Okay that uh, spiraled out the Onslaught Reborn and Heroes. Now I'm getting all tongue-tied. <laughs> Anywho, Onslaught's been here, and last time we saw Onslaught, he wasn't he wasn't exactly anything to write home about. I'm probably being too hard on Onslaught, no. but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe if you were really, like, into it at that point, but I, I, was, I was not. And he's... I, I, one thing I will always hand to Onslaught, though, is he looks like an amazingly cool action figure to have. Very, yeah. But outside of that, his character is always just really just the the extra upon extra. It's just, what if Xavier was also Magneto? It's <laughs> Yes, and was a destroyer, you know, like kind of 
kind of one note, but but yeah, no, I'm 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 really engaged in Way of X, um, especially with I I, th- I think it, it's it's hard to pin down exactly what I really really love about this issue because there's so much. Um, going on and I don't even mean that in a bad way I mean there's just there's so many good things about it um, whether that be you know with Legion and trying to figure out what's going on or the great moments with um, Dr. Nemesis or even Pixie still kind of feeling out of place or Nightcrawler trying to define his spirituality even though he still really doesn't know how to answer a lot of these questions it's just like all of these just great great avenues of exploration and each one is getting its attention and it's doing it in such a great way. Like I just, it, I, 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 I'm gushing about it so much cause I love it. Um, and I mean, yeah, I just, I, I don't even know what to say. Like even the moment and, and it doesn't seem like a big moment, but even the moment where Legion is basically able to put his brain back in his body without Xavier using Cerebro is kind of like a shocking one for me. Cause it really, like you said, showed how powerful he is in that he can basically restore his own consciousness even in a lifeless husk. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's always been something like interesting about the concept of Legion. Because, you know, the five, they build this based on Mr. Sinister's cloning information. Yeah. They build this this lifeless husk, like you said. But, you know, some of these mutants, their, you know, their powers, we've been led to believe mutant powers are genetic. They're, they're mm. rooted in the DNA. So when you build Legion's DNA and you give it physical form, it contains mm. his powers. And Legion's powers include his mind already, like sort of existing. Right. So his genetics contain his mind, which is a weird like reverso logic thing, but there are, there are certain mutants that I think the way that we understand their powers to work for the five to restore them would be a very interesting concept. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and, and you mentioned Mr. Sinister and I remember from kind of a while back, I guess the end of, uh, 2019, I believe. Where they had the um, the kind of incoming one shot that led into Empire eventually, but there was a brief little story there um, with Sinister, kind of talking about all the samples of mutant DNA that he has, and one of the ones that he mentions not having, um, besides Franklin Richards, was Legion. And now that Legion is reborn on Krakoa, I'm just curious to see how other Krakoans are going to react to that, especially after we got that whole like. <laughs> You know, very dramatic re-entrance or re-entry for Legion, and basically he's reborn, and everyone feels it. But um, yeah, like I said, I'm just I'm super interested to see where all these avenues are going to end up. So I, I ended up giving this one a eight point seven five out of ten. is my favorite issue for this week, and uh, I just I'm loving this series so far. Yeah, I gave this one a nine. And my last thought on this one, before we spend way too much time on it also, is <laughs> yes. Way of X is another beautiful entry in Hickman's universe of X-Men teams featuring characters who should never have been allies before. 
reading a comic where the close where our team quote unquote right now seems to be nightcrawler dr nemesis and legion and yeah and pixie it's like it's it's bizarre but on a somewhat loving it right on a somewhat spiritual mission against now onslaught i know this is a weird weird team up but we had apocalypse on the excalibur lineup we've had all kinds of crazy we have mr sinister with his own team being given like the blessing of xavier to go operate yeah well that was i mean like you said that that's kind of been the the blessing of this era of x-men it's like all these because there are so many mutants out there um and it's like all these mutant characters that have kind of been put you know, in the sidelines or anywhere else, they get a time to shine, to, to be something, I guess, more. Um, like you said, in Helians, where it's this, you know, weird band of misfit mutants who don't really fit in, or, or Sword, where it's like all the forgotten mutants from the 80s and 90s on a team, <laughs> like Wizkid and Frenzy and... Um, uh, uh, what was his name mes or no not mesmero mastermind i think um just like all these characters that you're just like who even cares but suddenly they're so important and they have something to do it's just it's really fascinating but anyway mm-hmm. all right that was way of x <laughs> now let's move on to black knight number three this one is also by size barrier uh with <clears throat> uh with art by sergio davila Color by Arif Prianto, lettering by Corey Petit, and ink by Sean Parsons. Brandon, I'll hand this one over to you. Awesome. Okay, so Dane and Elsa Bloodstone with the uh, young but intrepid uh, Jax are headed to basically face off against Mordred. They know that he's been picking up the artifacts of the Black Knight, um, or I guess of the Ebony Blade, and they're trying to make sure that he doesn't get some of the last ones so that he you know, can get absolute control. Uh, in particular, they're trying to stop him uh, getting the chalice before they do. So uh, that's when they head to a, a ruined castle to basically try and find the artifacts, uh, but... As they arrive, who should be there but Mordred himself, who, along with a, uh, guess, reanimated creature made of the blood of all of the professors that were killed in the previous issue, named Redcap, uh, engage both Dane and Elsa Bloodstone in battle, while Jax basically tries to defend herself, but is uh, frequently given flashbacks to Camelot, as she's been having throughout the past two issues. Uh, so while those two are busy fighting, we get a tour of the ye old days of the old Black Knight who has a chance encounter with a certain Norseman, uh, and that Norseman is Thor. Uh, and for any uh, Jason Aaron Thor fans, you might recognize this as kind of the brash, young, arrogant Thor who was, you know, chilling with the Vikings at the time and going from place to pay, place to place looking for trouble and in this particular instance, looking for trouble at uh, Arthur's court, uh, but that's when they should encounter the old uh, Black Knight Percival, who 
basically is acting as berserker and uh, shows absolutely no mercy. And that's when we really discover, uh, as we learned in the King in Black time, that the nature of the Black Knight isn't necessarily, you know, to be any kind of noble spirit, but really to just feed off of negative energy and to use that as a way to slaughter as many people as you can. Uh, and you see that as the old Black Knight basically slaughters and takes care of as many Norsemen as he can, leaving Thor and the rest of them absolutely destroyed. And uh, Thor actually has his memory altered so as to kind of prevent him from taking this kind of action again or looking for revenge of any kind. And uh, while the Black Knight and Mordred and Redcap and Elsa Bloodstone are still engaged in battle, uh, that's when they basically are able to, uh, whoa, that's not right. <laughs> that's when Dane is basically able to use his berserker power after, uh, you know, kind of dying the first time and use it as a destroyer to fight off Mordred and, um, really just kind of using the same techniques that the old Black Knight had used in this Berserker form and uh, kind of head them off. And so Mordred is basically forced to flee uh, before he can grab anything that he needs. But uh, with that, our trio is able to find the chalice they had been looking for. And um, that's when, to kind of answer some of the questions about the nature of the ebony blade that Dane is still unclear on, he decides to drink from some of the liquid in the Black Chalice, and that's where our issue ends. Um, I'm still having a lot of fun with this series. I mean, I'm a sucker for sword and sorcery books, and this one certainly does it well, but I, I, I feel like even though the backstory stuff could definitely come across as being expository it really doesn't feel that way like the all the backstories that we've gotten about the old black knight and kind of the nature of the ebony blade um have been really interesting or at least the presentation has been really interesting and i was kind of worried about what it would be like mixing thor with an older black knight and how that might come across as you know very retconny that's not a word but you know what I mean. Um, just, just like kind of like a blatant retcon and, and something like that. But I think it, it did a really, really cool and clever job of kind of integrating it and showing just how dangerous this older Black Knight could be to the brash, arrogant young Thor. So I also had a really fun time with this one, and uh, I actually ended up giving it an 8 out of 10. Awesome, yeah. I, I enjoyed the the new black knight i really enjoyed this issue too it um it really worked for me in terms of you know we have the black knight fighting mordred we have elsa bloodstone fighting uh the red cap and then we have thor mm. fighting the black knight in the flashback sequences and yeah. it all really just worked it came together and something about the way they're doing these flashbacks like you said Maybe it's maybe it's cheating, but all the flashbacks in this Black Knight series have really been sort of like magical elements showing them to Jax. Yeah. And I think that maybe is why they're, they don't feel like just straight up exposition. Because it's not just them sitting down to tell us the reader. I don't know. It just, it feels different. These don't feel like just like, oh, once upon a time... The Black yeah. Knight made uh, Sir Percival 
kind of a wanker. Like it's not. <laughs> yeah, and and even when you know, kind of the uh, the the Raven kind of talks about whatever's going at all going on. He kind of has like the faux ye old accent that I think makes it makes the presentation a little more interesting. But but um, again, with not not being too expository. But yeah, I definitely agree that it's like. You know, it's it's not just saying, and then Black Knight did this to Thor, and you don't get to see any of it. Like it really just lets it kind of breathe for itself. Mm-hmm. I think my only my only criticism of this uh, of this issue was they sort of established, you know, that the the death and rebirth cycle of the Black Blade is, or sorry, of the Ebony Blade. You know, it, it makes him powerful, it makes him angry, It and he's more powerful the more volatile he is. Mm-hmm. And after his death, he comes back and he's, you know, ready to fight, but Mordred has fled. And then it just kind of jump cuts to Mordred looking through a scrying spell and being like, mm-hmm. oh, Dane's calmed down, and he's he's now just talking to Jax about how they have the Holy Grail. Yeah. And, and that's just it. He, he really just immediately... It glosses over the whole he just came back from the dead again, which is a new thing for him. He's not used to doing that. Mm-hmm. And it just jump cuts to, oh, now they're all back together and they're sharing the spoils of a successful mission. And it just felt right at the end that the an otherwise enjoyable issue kind of just skipped the step I wanted to see. And what I didn't need to see was Mordred monologuing about how, oh, I still technically sort of believe I won. Yeah, yeah, that was a little a little rushed, and yeah, it, it wasn't the best, but um, I, I think I'm still kind of interested to see what Mordrin's actual final plan is going to be, because even if you don't have, or even if he doesn't have the chalice at this point, what, you know, what kind of upper hand do you really think you're going to have, given that Dane is going to have this newfound knowledge about the Ebony Blade? I think I'm interested in that, mm-hmm. but, I definitely hear what you're saying. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the rest of this issue. I gave it a 7.75. Just took off some points for a rocky landing at the end. And uh, I'm also interested because, you know, in terms of superhero comic logic, I wonder if the this five-part series is going to culminate with Black Knight having all four uh, ebony artifacts and maybe getting ascending to some new version of the Black Knight persona or coming to a new understanding of his curse or something. Be- yeah, it will it will be interesting to see where he kind of lands at the end of this. Because it, yeah, it definitely feels like they're building to you know some kind of a leveled up Black Knight super version or something like that. Or maybe he'll join the Avengers again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll actually want him this time. <laughs> maybe or maybe they actually wanted him already we're still not 100% sure on that piece <laughs> it, it it definitely feels like Cap was really the only one sticking his neck out for him uh, Thor really felt like he wanted nothing to do with him and the rest were kind of just tolerating him but we'll see mm-hmm. alright so next we've got X-Corp issue number one brought to us by writer Tiny Howard artist Alberto Foch Color by Sunny Go and lettering by Clayton Cowles. X-Corp number one starts with what we have seen built up in the past issues with Krakoa's legacy. Is X-Men now needs a company to protect their economical interests in the world at large. 
And the very summary of that as a comic may bounce some people off right away. It's literally the X-Men need a company. (laughs) And the company is being run by two of the most savvy business people who are also mutants. We've got Penance, who is, you know, as deranged as she always is. (laughs) And we've got Angel, who, you know, is in possession of, I believe... What I, I want to say the second most mockable name in the Marvel Universe, Warren Worthington the Third. Uh, yeah, so so upper crust, which I guess is fitting because that's that's definitely what he is. Right, and for those wondering why I give him the title of second most mockable name, the first one always goes to Bullseye. I'm sorry if your name is Benjamin Poindexter. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Apologies but to I, all I, the Benjamin Point Dexters out there. <laughs> they're they're all coming for you next. <laughs> but I do love the 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 two people running X Corp are people who basically have to contain their rage in any way uh, because they kind of hold like these evil twisted versions of them. Where you know Monet's got penance and uh, Angel's got the Archangel identity, and these are the people that you chose to run your X Corporation for some reason. <laughs> Right? Uh, So, and in this one, we see Angel going to meet with a businessman to protect some of their interests in the world, and he is attending a genetically modified horse race, which, by its very nature, sounds ridiculous and like something the upper echelon of rich elites would totally enjoy. And... In that same moment, we discover that they have, they are making some kind of plan to screw over the operations on, in the Savage Land that Multiple Man is working on. So they start putting together a plan on how to not get screwed over by this businessman who's trying to blackmail them. And Penance puts together a team of Multiple Man and Trinary. And they reveal that their Island Lab Supercorp base is also a flying Island Lab Supercorp <laughs> base. And they drop it right over top of the city and engage in what is only identifiable as a mid-scale military conflict. Yeah. That results in X-Corp leading the headlines and their stocks rising and them showing that they're not going to be cowed down by old school rich people business tactics. (laughs) The only other major development in this issue is we see Angel get shot at a lot. We see him get blackmailed and manipulated. But what we don't see is him getting stressed enough for the Archangel to come out. Yeah, and I I guess that this island lab that they have, or island headquarters, is kind of built like a new technology with the gates, where it can teleport to the gates, which is kind of an interesting idea, um, where it's like you can you can basically teleport to the location, but you don't have to actually walk through the gates. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool, and I feel like. The the journey of that we're gonna see Angel go on in this, I think, is the the main selling point of X Corp. Mm-hmm. 
I think they wanted an environment for us to get another story of Angel struggling with his, you know, his duty and then his affliction of the Archangel persona. Mm-hmm. But I had an all right time with this one. For a first issue, it covers its bases in terms of it has a moment of spectacle. It has some characterization moments. It shows enough of the relationship between Penance and Multiple Man and Trinary to understand why they're going to be the team going forward. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of Multiple Man. Uh, oh, he, for sure. He always cracks me up, and in this issue, he's <laughs> he doesn't disappoint, though he is weirdly obsessed with his science in this issue. Yeah, I, I never I never realized that... Uh... That old Jamie was was a scientist or a doctor, as he calls himself, or one of his dupes calls him that. Well, he's if I remember right in the in the old Multiple Man series, like I think it was just like the Multiple Man in. Mm-hmm. Oh, when was that? I'm not even going to attempt the year. I'm going to get it so wrong. That that's when they established that he's got dupes, kind of just learning every field of study. <laughs> and every once in a while he just checks up on them and learns everything they've learned. Like at one point I, he uh he he's trying to get into somewhere and they say that, you know, only like an attorney can get past here. And then a dupe comes up and merges with him and he says, "Oh, I just passed the bar." Like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I I do like that idea of his dupes just kind of going all over the place doing whatever. Right? It's going to come to a point where, you know, Multiple Man is going to be the largest repository of, like, information. (laughs) Seriously, he's going to hold, like, 15 doctorates and, you know, a medical degree, a law degree. Just going to collect them like like Pokemon. Right? Um, Yeah, so for X-Corp, I gave it a a, a 7 out of 10. It's a good start, but it... um, I need it to go some places before I, I think it earns any of its big story beats. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I definitely felt a similar way. And I, I felt like it definitely kind of got bogged down a lot with some of the business jargon. Um, because, I mean, I understand that you want to keep it authentic or as authentic as you can. But, you know, if you're talking to a crowd of people that does not have a, a degree in business or economics, uh, it, it might go over some people's heads. And <laughs> I know there was definitely some stuff that kind of went over my head, um, much as I tried to pay attention and read all the infographics. But, um, I mean, I, I felt that most of the representations of the characters were pretty well done. And, um, you know, it's always nice to see Monet and Angel up to something, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like if it really wants to, I don't know, get my interest moving forward, it's going to have to just kind of, I don't want to say pull out all the stops, but, but really try and do something unique and interesting where it's not just, you know, just X-Men doing business, I guess, and also they have a floating lab. I, I guess I, I'll just need a little bit more to kind of keep me hooked and and see what happens next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my hope really is that for some of these, the Hellfire Gala is about to... I want to hope it acts as the the catalyst for something interesting happening in all of these. Oh, yeah. Like, I hope issue number one was, um, was them showing us, okay, X-Corp is a thing, this is how they behave. 
issue number two or three is Hellfire Gala, and it's related. And then something at the Hellfire Gala says, okay, X-Corp now needs to deal with blah. Right. Like, that's my hope. So I hope that after the Gala, X-Corp will have a bit more purpose, and it's not just really what it says on the tin, which is Warren Worthington III and (laughs) Monet defending the the right for the X-Men to make money. Yeah, that that would be nice. All right. Next we've got Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow, Part 2. This What If comic comes to us by writer Chip Zdarsky, art by Pascal Ferry, color by Matt Hollingsworth, and lettering by Joe Caramagna. And I'm going to hand this one over to Brandon. My pleasure. So Pete is struggling with the death of Hobgoblin, uh, or rather I should say the death of Hobgoblin by Pete's hands. He had been goaded by the symbiote and really just decided to take things into his own hands after the death of Aunt May. And now he's really living with that guilt and the fact that he is a murderer and he's feeling shame about it. Um, And as he's kind of reflecting on it, he just happens to run across a Bugle article that is calling him a murderer, which, as we know, is not unheard of for the Bugle, but it <laughs> really seems to set Pete off at this point. Um, and in between that, we check in briefly with the Kingpin, who is kind of reflecting on the fact that, you know, if Spider-Man is a murderer now, we really cannot result in that, because that will not end up well if... if Superheroes are willing to take things into their own hands in a deadly, you know, kind of punishing way. Something needs to be something needs to be done about that. You know, we can't just have him dealing with petty crimes like he did in the past. It, this is getting a bit more serious, and he needs to take action. But while Kingpin is dealing with that, Pete swings by the Daily Planet just in the middle of uh, Jonah's classic tirades and. Uh, basically is not taking any of Jonah's crap right now to the point where he breaks Jonah's fingers in an attempt to stop him from mentioning him in any kind of negative light in any way moving forward. Uh, and Pete really just seems to be in a bad, bad way where yeah, no kidding. he is, yeah, yeah. He is struggling with the fact that he has murdered someone, but he's kind of slinking further and further into the darkness and embracing this symbiote that's kind of goading him to go further and after mj tries to check in with him and kind of calm him down a little bit and realizes that you know pete is basically a murderer the fact of the matter is pete has kind of accepted that this new power has been given to him and it's time that he did something with it um and you know he kind of feels like oh but i'm human and and there's maybe i shouldn't be doing this but the symbiote just keeps goading him so as he's swinging out leaving MJ in the dust, who should attack him but Scorpion and Shocker, who basically are kind of calling him a, a load of crap and saying that if you've gone murderer, that's absolutely rich. And, <laughs> and you know, we, we don't believe a thing of it. Famous last uh, words. That's when, yeah, famous last words indeed, as, as Pete decides to cram Gorgon's mouth full of symbiote fluid and basically choke him to death. Shocker has a mini panic attack about that, realizing that, oh my god, I am about to die <laughs> because Spider-Man is about to kill me. Um, and Pete takes no mercy and basically destroys Shocker right in front of a, 
a mother and her daughter. Uh, and after Pete basically decides, or rather after Shocker reveals that they had been working on behalf of Wilson Fisk, Pete decides to pay a little visit over to Kingpin and well, that doesn't go so well for Kingpin, and, and let's just say that Kingpin won't be giving out any more orders after that. Uh, but shortly after, we catch up with the Sinister Six, who, by orders of Otto Octavius, decide that if Spider-Man has gone completely off the deep end and is a ruthless murderer now, they need to take action of their own. But before Otto can do anything substantial, after checking in with the sub, after checking in with the Sinister Six, he is taken out by a mysterious assailant who, after taking off his mask, reveals himself to be none other than Eddie Brock, who decides it's his job to kill Spider-Man, which was uh, quite a quite a reveal for me, because I, I know I was definitely wondering, you know, where is Eddie in this situation if Pete's holding on to the symbiote, at least for the long run? Mm -hmm. um, but I admittedly, because I'd read this issue last week, I'd kind of forgotten about it, but going through it kind of reminded me of of a lot of the things that I really, really liked about it. Um, one, just kind of this this horrific take on Spider-Man, you know, descending further and further into the darkness and really living with the fact that he murdered a man. And I think one thing that I liked in particular was the fact that it was not glossed over, right? It's not like, oh, you know, I killed Goblin, or I, I killed Hobgoblin, whatever. Like, deed's done, who gives a crap? Like, he really struggles with it. And, and even after, you know, crushing Jonah's fingers, he still struggles with the fact that he took a man's life and he doesn't know how to deal with that. But clearly he seems to have moved on and at some point after killing Shocker and Scorpion and uh, Kingpin eventually. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of headspace Pete's in uh, in the third issue, which I think is, is where I'm you know most interested to see this develop. But um, yeah, going through it again just reminded me of, of the, a lot of the things that I really did like. Um, and uh, I, like I said, it felt like a pretty solid installment for, for this series. So I, I ended up giving this one an 8.25 out of 10. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, I gotta say, the, the one really eerie panel where MJ walks in on Peter and he's sleeping above his bed oh, yeah. with the symbiotes. God keeping him like in midair suspension like he's floating in like a mm -hmm. symbiote web and he's like oh don't worry it's actually way more comfortable than it looks <clears throat> as if it doesn't look horrifying yeah like he, he looks like a monster i know also can i just say um because they don't really specify like how long it's been since pete you know killed hobgoblin but Man, he really grew out his facial hair quick. Like, the, the opening sequence has him walking past the newspaper um, stand, or like the, the little newspaper thing. And, you know, he has kind of like a five o'clock shadow, and he doesn't look that great. But, like, you, you pointed at the scene where he's kind of almost looks like he's floating above the bed. And you look at Pete, and he's like full beard, like not shaved, super disheveled, like... It, it, he's really been through the ringer at this point. <laughs> well, the symbiote can change your physical appearance, so maybe Pete really has always wanted to grow a beard. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Because Peter Parker, for some reason, strikes me as the type of guy who would struggle to grow past the patchy face. 
Yeah, no, he's he's definitely seems like kind of the more clean shaven type guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I gave this book an eight out of ten. I do kind of hope we get another, like a further evolution of the mm. look of oh, yeah. of the spider shadow. Um, Reed Richards hypothesizes that if Peter stays in the symbiote for much longer, they will bond in a more irreversible state. Mm. And I wonder if that's something that means we might get a more progressed look. Something about the very tiny, itty-bitty spider fangs kind of weirds me out when I look at it, which (laughs) I guess means they're serving their purpose, but it's just, it's unsettling. And have him take on a more traditional Venom appearance would also be kind of cool. Oh, yeah. No, that that would be my guess, because, I mean, even in the first issue, we kind of see him... You know the the suit kind of is is uh, is is altered a little bit, and it's it's like more wispy, I'd say. And like you said, it has those fangs, and um, the the symbol is more prominent. But I'm I'm wondering. You just kind of got me thinking. I'm wondering if the suit is going to kind of bulk up a little bit. You know, look bigger, kind of as Venom did. Because um, Pete is, I mean, you know, he's a Spider Man's a fairly I don't want to say large guy, but he's he's not like a shrimp anymore. Like he's not as he was when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just wondering if the the Venom suit is going to really you know jack him up towards the end of the series, where he looks like you know the hulking figure that that Venom usually looks like. Yeah, like it did with like Eddie's always been big. Yeah. So when yeah. when Eddie is Venom and he's big, you're like, okay, yeah, that's just sort of the difference between Pete and Eddie. But mm-hmm. uh, when Venom was Gargan. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that. Gargan is not a a swole dude, but <laughs> Gargan Venom was massive. Yeah. So, I think I think my guess would be that, you know, as Pete progresses further and further into the darkness, it's like I hope, I don't know, but I, I really would hope that they the suit just gets more and more, you know, chaotic and beefy to the point where he's just like this huge behemoth by like issue 5. But yeah, I had a, I had a really great time. Mhm. Yeah, I'm enjoying it, and I just want to say shout out to whoever stopped Gargan from being Venom, because <laughs> this is definitely one of my least favorite Venom periods. Uh, yeah, oof, rough. All right, next on our list is Shang Chi issue number one by Jean Lu Jean Luen Yang with. Art by Dyke Ruan, color by Trona Farrell, and lettering by Travis Lanham. Shang-Chi number one continues a saga that was last touched in Shang-Chi's last appearance, where he has now defeated his father and he has become the supreme commander of the, I've got to check my notes here because I can never remember it, the League of Five Weapons, the, the Five Weapons Society. He's now the Supreme Commander of the Five Weapons Society, and he wants to use his role as the Supreme Commander to undo the evil his father has done. So him and he's tasking his sister with tracking down their uh, their drug operations and seeing if they can get those halted. And this is happening while he's on a date that does go sideways because his sister ends up in the neighborhood. And he has to go uh, go deal with her. So his date falls apart, and we start to see a very 
tense relationship between him and his sister. His sister, Esme, wants him to lead like a supreme commander of the Five Weapons Society would. She keeps calling him Brother Hand and expecting him to murder and threaten his way through the city and essentially be an evil society overlord. Mm. Shang-Chi is obviously not that guy and wants to uh, prevent this. So as him and his sister are fighting this tough outside, who else but show, show up but Shang-Chi's old martial arts student, Spider-Man. Of course. Can't have a number one without a good Spider-Man appearance. <laughs> I swear, if you, uh, if, if you took a drink every time Spider-Man or Wolverine shows up Wolverine. in an unaffiliated tie-in, oh. <laughs> as an unaffiliated cameo... <laughs> Hey, he, he makes his rounds, I guess. Right? Well, so Shang-Chi and Spider-Man share that Spider-Man has been tracking this same tough as linked to a weapons ring, which, you know, he's also their lead to a drug ring. So they decide to team up and go look at it together. And what follows is Shang-Chi being very dodgy because he doesn't want to allude to Peter that he's the supreme commander of the five weapons mm -hmm. uh, society. Sorry, I totally am going to remember this by the end of this. <laughs> and so Shang-Chi and Spider-Man go to this old uh, traditional Chinese medicine shop where they discover that uh, in the back they find the operations for the the drugs as they're going around and his sister finds in the front that the owner of the shop has actually been producing roots out of an old Chinese Yeti that turns people into the Chinese Yeti, gives them the power and he becomes King Wildman, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, a half Yeti type person. And as they start to tear this operation apart and they find the, both the drugs ring and the weapons ring is the same place and they're dealing with that, um, the, uh, the owner of the shop puts a Yaren root on Spider-Man and Spider-Man becomes a sort of six-armed Yeti monstrosity that Shang-Chi must fight. Mm -hmm. Shang-Chi does and he successfully... Uh, fights with his sister while they're constantly bickering about his command of the society as well as his desire to not use lethal force on Spider-Man. Spider-Man's a good guy. We don't kill him. And when they succeed, he does have to reveal to Spider-Man that all of this stuff belongs to, or his sister accidentally reveals, all of this stuff belongs to our society. All of this is ours. To which Spider-Man looks to Shang and is like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> so Shang-Chi reveals the whole truth that he is now the leader of the society and that he is calling in their troops to recover all of these Yeti-producing drugs. And we're left with sort of the haunted exchange of, Shang, are you still one of us? And Shang-Chi replies, what does your spider sense tell you? And it's a it's a good ending point for an arc that is being called Shang Chi versus the Marvel Universe. Yeah, and I, I guess the next issue is pitting him against Captain America, which is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I do wonder if 
you know, the next issue and the way the title is, you know, versus the Marvel Universe, next issue, Shang-Chi versus Captain America. It's making it sound like the Avengers are going to show up at his doorstep and be like, hey, Five Weapons Society is bad. You can't. Uh-oh. Oh, no. I, I just, I got, I got, like, um, I was trying to think a specific event. Um, oh, that's on the tip of my like Civil War too, or like the Avengers just will just show up and be like, uh, we need to talk. Right. <laughs> but what I'm kind of hoping is that the actual like coverage of this is maybe more to do with these Yeti drugs or something. Yeah. So maybe the next issue is Cap gets infected and Shang-Chi has to beat Cap. Like mm-hmm. if Avengers keep getting infected with this and Shang-Chi just has to go on a crusade to stop them. Cause this issue did, sort of establish that you know the the yeti drug makes people very powerful but spider-man was already very powerful so he became a mega threat mm-hmm. but yeah good entry in the first issue uh shang chi's sister esme as a character is a little one note she doesn't you know she, she spends most of the issue just saying can i kill can i kill please i request a stab yeah. we should kill we should stab Brother, why you don't choose to kill and stab? Yeah. And yeah. I get it. She was raised by their father in the murder society. Like, that's sort of her whole everything at this point. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. She just felt like a minor weak point because I, I just... I feel like I've read this before. I don't know where, but the whole, you know... Good guy takes over an evil team, and all the evil people are like, "No, don't, don't, don't be good. We're we're evil." Where? Yeah, I um, I I was reminded at least of, and and this is this isn't a Marvel book, but um, I, I was thinking of the uh, the New Fifty Two run on Green Arrow by Jeff Lemire which kind of had a similar idea of um, basically Green Arrow discovers that he, his father had uh, another daughter um, with this uh, separate assassin. Uh, And the daughter is basically trained to be a killer and kind of hates Green Arrow at first, but warms up to him later. And then um, after Green Arrow, you know, fights off this other guy, he basically becomes the leader of this team called the Outsiders, who started off as kind of being more evil um, and had planned to take over the world. And then, I mean, you know, once Green Arrow is kind of asserts control, that's when they slowly sh- start to shift. But um, I, I, yeah, I feel like it's not a wholly original idea of like, you know, you fight off this evil commander of a, of a evil organization and then suddenly that organization's trying to convince you to be evil and yeah i guess it just depends but um i i, I definitely felt a similar way where it's like i had kind of seen it before and um I, I i don't know if i was super interested in that um even though i, I did really like the shang chi miniseries that they did previously because i felt like it was kind of a really fun take on the character um but I, I, I think it definitely worked um, just kind of in, in some of the back and forth between Shang-Chi and Spider-Man and, and also um, also just, I, I guess, just kind of exploring 
the story um, with the with the drugs. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I I'm definitely invested in it in a way, and I kind of want to see where it goes next, particularly with Captain America showing up in the next issue. And um, I, I do have to say that I, I really think the art is is stand out, um, just because I, I feel like it's a really great job with some of the colors um, and, and kind of mm-hmm. showing like this, I don't even know what to call it exactly, but like really, I guess, shadowed, almost moody uh, atmosphere, which I think really works well if you're in, you know, New York city around twilight or nighttime. Um, so it, it definitely brings that out, but yeah, I, I thought it was, you know, a solid introduction. So I, I ended up giving this one a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, I also gave it a 7.5. It's it's a good start, and I'm excited to see where Shang-Chi's journey goes, and I'm excited to mm. see you know, how big they're going to take the stakes on a title as bold as versus the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Um, so that concludes our full reviews section. So let's get on to the lightning reviews. We've got some... We've got a... We've got a full list of bite-sized reviews here today that we're going to go through and share some quick thoughts on, and we're going to start with Children of the Atom number three. This is brought to us by writer Vita Ayala, with art by Paco Medina, colors by David Curiel, and lettering by Travis Lanham. This continues the Children of the Atom saga of, are they mutants? Are they not mutants? We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It splices together a story of the... Children of the Atom in a spaceship that they have stolen, that things are going wrong on, and they are crashing back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have to deal with that. And then it splices that intermingled with a story of Carmen, who I believe is gimmick in the Children of the Atom's roster, sharing how she doesn't feel special, she doesn't feel noticed, and it's a very heartwarming teen story. We learn that she's a cosplay and sewing expert, so she presumably also made all their costumes. And we get to see them, and we get to see these flashes of their, I want to call it mutant obsession, because that's the thing they're hinting at in this whole underlying series, is we don't think they're mutants. We think they might just be mutant fans who have now taken it potentially to an uncomfortable level. Mm -hmm. But have somehow gained access to to some kind of powers. We just don't know how. Right, and we're not even 100% sure... Because I don't think we've seen any one of them use their powers outside of their costumes. So I don't know if it's technology-based no. powers either. Yeah, that, 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 uh, it's, yeah, it's hard to say now. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mystery. Yeah, it's, so they're, they're riding it. And I think that's my biggest complaint with Children of the Atom so far is <laughs> I, three issues in, I feel like they're still dancing around the question of the readers. Like, will they, are they, aren't they? And my biggest confusion, confusing point in this whole thing is if they are technology or they have cheated the system somehow, why would they think they can go through the gates? Yeah. Because they have tried in what, what I believe to be earnestness that they think they are mutants and they think the gates should work for them and the gates aren't. Mm-hmm. So at first we thought, oh, maybe their mutant powers came from someone else, somewhere else. But right. it, it's just so confusing that, you know, they have an identical power set to a team of X-Men. And they think they're mutants, but they don't act like it. And they're not, I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's strange. And they're also not telling the mutants that they can't get through the gates. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I feel like if I was Cyclops last and I had Cyclops's powers and the mutant gates weren't working for me, I'd hop on the Krakoa message board and be like, hey, um, I don't want to blow a hole through the walls of my school. Could you please send someone to help get this gate working? Yeah. But the fact that they're not, it, it seems to imply that there's something more sinister going on. And they have a conversation with someone who got treatment using what looks like mutant stem cells. So, and their first question is, does that mean you're a mutant? Could you go to Krakoa? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's a weird look. It's fine. It's fun. The teen angst angle is well written, though not for me. Yeah. No, I, 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 I get that. I totally do. Um, it, yeah, it's. It's very much a look that we saw in the last one of, you know, we're seeing teen angles of unrequited love, wanting to be special, wanting to be noticed, all of that. Mm -hmm. And it's, we're seeing more of that and it's, it's, it is well put together, but it's a little heavy handed. And this one felt even more so with it jumping back and forth between, oh, they're in space at some point in time yeah, crashing. And then they're also having dinner at her house. Mm -hmm. And then this issue ends with us finding out that gimmick, something is wrong with gimmick or wrong, yeah. different, but it doesn't look like the powers that we've seen her use so far. So mm. we're left to wonder more about this mystery. And I gave children of the atom a seven out of 10. Yeah. I feel like you kind of hit all the, the points that I, I, you know, feel the same way about. Um, I, I don't mind the, the, quote-unquote teen angst as much um just because it i feel like it does kind of give some i don't know if depth is the right word but it, it at least gives some sense of character to these these people that um is interesting to me and you know i i like that they're at least trying to define some of the things that make them interesting um you know that she loves to you know, sew and do cosplay and that kind of thing. And, and even that she kind of makes videos about it. Like it was, it's just, that stuff is kind of fun, but mm -hmm. the overarching mystery of, you know, are they mutants or aren't they? That whole thing. Like I'm, I'm definitely starting to feel the, ugh, they're kind of dragging it out and I don't know what's going on. And um, <laughs> clearly, like you said, we know that something's up with gimmick um, that, you know, she is, as she puts it special in some kind of way. Um, but you know, it, it, it clearly is hinting at some kind of way that she's special in a way that the others are not. And I, I'm just, again, I'm just wondering what, you know, what does that mean? What, what does it mean? Just tell me already. Uh, like, I don't want to be impatient about it, but you know, like I said, <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to drag it out too much. So, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I kind of had a fun time with this issue, I think the series is consistent, at least, in uh, its portrayal of this story and these characters. But, um, I mean, that's kind of it for me. So I ended up giving this one a 7 out of 10. Awesome. So next we have Hulk Time of Monsters by Alex Pacnadel and Al Ewing, with art by Juan Ferreira, and lettering by Corey Petit. And I'll hand this one over to Brandon. Yeah, I can break it down. So in the year 9,500 BCE in the Jordan Peninsula, uh, a young man by the name of Tammuz, who is um, alongside an, an elder by the name of Adad, are looking upon a, a green rock 
which is supposed to be the mysterious eye of the goddess. And basically, this issue kind of revolves around the green rock at the center revealed to be a thing of gamma. And after Adad basically sacrifices Tammuz in an attempt to appease the green goddess, um, that's when we see Tammuz's transformation into this elemental creature. And the issue kind of focuses on his transformation into some kind of being of rage where um, even though the people of the village are able to capture him because their whole problem lately has been that they have been without resources and they're looking for a, you know, a bounty of food and they're able to capture the gamma changed Tammuz and well, basically eat him alive. Um, it's, it's revealed that the nature of him as a gamma creature is something that cannot be killed, which if you've been reading Immortal Hulk thus far, you know, you know, that's pretty consistent. Um, and it's this kind of gut wrenching scene of, uh, the, fluids of Tammuz basically ripping themselves from the bodies of oh. everyone who ate his flesh and pulling it back together to reform his body, which, I mean, if you've been loving the body horror in Immortal Hulk, you're going to love that part. Yeah, uh, this... But it's... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. This, this story, this part with Tammuz, the art is really high quality here. And if, Oh, yeah. You know, and if, if Immortal Hulk hadn't really cemented itself already that you know there's just some grotesque horror as part of what the hulk is now mm. this continues that trend and yes al ewing's also at the helm of this one so that's part of it but you know we see tamuz's skin being pulled backwards it's all yeah. gross it's it and we definitely see more of it with oh that scene like you said with all the pieces pulling back so he reforms himself it's it's a it's a piece of work. Oh yeah, and and I think for me at least, just seeing like the oh it was uh, I mean like I said I I enjoy some of the body horror, but even even for me it gets me at times where you see the parts of Tammuz. I guess you could call it like the goop. I don't even know what the right word would be, but you you literally see it in some cases bursting from the body. Of people not just from their mouths but like from their stomachs and mm -hmm. it, it rips them open essentially to pull tammuz as the gamma creature back together and it's horrifying but um in in so doing tammuz is basically able to regain control of his body and destroy the entire village which is where our first story ends the second story is a, a short horror story wherein Bruce Banner walks into a small town theater and is met by the Scarecrow, who has sedated the entire crowd into seeing their worst fears on screen. Attempts to do the same with Bruce Banner, but that has quite the bad reaction uh, as Bruce quickly transforms into the Hulk uh, and is able to subdue the Scarecrow and show him his worst fear, which is basically where our story ends uh, as the Scarecrow lives in fear of what is coming next and... Uh, Hulk warns of a place where he is headed next, uh, which, which, as he states, it ain't Kansas, and <laughs> clearly is meant to be in reference to some kind of hell. But um, you know, in 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 total, this little one shot, this collection of two stories, was solid. I I definitely felt that the first story kind of suffered from some pacing in the first part. Um, I I 
kind of like the concept of a, you know of an elemental gamma mutated creature in the in the ancient age but i don't know how much relevance it's actually going to have on the later story of the mortal hulk and i mean it feels like it's just kind of a you know let's just tell a fun gamma story on the side but um like i said it, it definitely kind of had some pacing stuff in, in the first issue where it felt a little slow and then once we really deal with Tammuz's transformation and capture and all the stuff that comes after that, that's when it really picked up for me. But um, yeah, I would say that the as a whole, the issue, excuse me, is is solid, but doesn't really doesn't really rise up to any of the stuff that I've seen in the main Immortal Hulk book. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to. So. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty solid in that way. And then I think, at least for me, the art in both the first story and the backup story is really incredible um, by Juan Ferreira and um, Kevin Nolan, just really doing an excellent job in flexing their horror ability and, and just really capturing the vibe uh, uh, particularly well. So I ended up giving this one a 7.75 out of 10. Awesome. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I found that the the art was great and the depiction of the sort of primitive hulk was really cool the horns and everything he looked much more like a like a wendigo or a uh like an ancient monster mm. um that you would see and i i loved that i loved the art the second story with even though it had touches of the horror really was just like a classic like villain is doing some bad stuff hulk shows up and beats him down like there it didn't yeah. spend a lot of time on it so i gave this one a 7.5 out of 10 awesome next we've got champions but brought to us by danny lore luciano vecchio uh federico blee and clayton cowles this continues the killer app story where now we're seeing that sam alexander and miles morales are working for roxon and it starts with all of the champions playing a phone game together when Snowguard shows up and is angry that Sam has posted that he has joined Roxxon. Uh, which then they take the time to explain and then it flashes back to the whole plan of why they're infiltrating. Why they're trying to figure out what Roxxon's doing and how they're using viral trends and bot marketing. And all the horrible things <laughs> that real companies are doing in real life today to manipulate people into coming to opinions and to sabotage protests and beliefs and make sure that people like the champions come out as the villains. <laughs> and from the, you know, half or throughout it, they discover that Roxxon is going to try and sabotage a champion speech where heroes are uh, going to share like their opinions on how things are going and what Roxxon is doing and mm -hmm. Roxxon is staging themselves to be the heroes of the scenario, but the champions show up, stop the carnage, and position Roxxon's uh, goons to be the villains. And that uh, Nova and Miles now work or as a uh, as interns at Roxxon to try and uncover more about what's uh, what's to come. It's a decent issue. It's really really nice art the champions are fun we see the ongoing uh con continuation of riri and viv having some of the most complicated relationship in the champions mm -hmm. 
and otherwise it's pretty enjoyable. I, it doesn't go anywhere surprising or exciting, and parts of it feel like a little too um, meandering, I would say, in some of the... Mm-hmm. The, the plotting and the the backstory parts and then the the conflict with the at the protest wasn't like a big hardcore super conflict so it it didn't really pack a climactic punch so this is really yeah. just a, a middle issue and I gave this one a seven point two five out of ten yeah no I I kind of felt the same way where it was yeah really just kind of moving the story along finding out more about Roxon and um kind of catching up to the little teaser that they had in Champions 5 where Miles and uh, and uh, Sam are now interns at Roxxon, clearly trying to do some investigative work. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes, but just kind of a, yeah, just kind of a, you know, I, I've, I, don't, I don't know what the, what the word to use is, kind of a progression issue or whatever you might mm-hmm. call it like it, it's just it's just moving the plot along essentially so i gave it a seven out of ten awesome so next we've got daredevil issue 30 brought to us by writer chip zadarsky art by mark chiquetto and mike hawthorne um color by marco Meniz, lettering by clayton cowles and ink by marco chiquetto and adriano di benedetto and I'll hand this one over to Brandon. Awesome. Yeah, so this issue is uh, kind of a check-in issue, or at least it feels that way, where we're kind of following up on a lot of plot lines. The last issue saw Matt Murdock in kind of this crazy, epic battle in the middle of prison, and it looked like he was dead. And uh, we check in with Matt, and it seems like he's fine for the most part, where... Uh, they're basically discussing about moving him to another prison because it's just not safe for him to be there. and um, Also talking about doing some undercover investigative work within the new prison as a way to reduce some of his sentence. And Matt is absolutely against it. He still feels like he needs to serve his full sentence. Uh, and, you know, afterwards, Cole checks in on him. Uh, Cole North, the detective that had kind of been with uh, Matt for a while and basically says, you know, you punishing yourself isn't doing anything. It just makes you seem like a jerk and it's not helping anyone else and kind of gives Matt something to think about. We also check in with Electra, who is still training uh, the young girl that she had saved during the Kenny Black tie-in and uh, basically just showing her the ropes and uh, they go to a club later that's being run by the... Uh, unclaimed son of Wilson Fisk, Butch, um, who has been given some new authority by Izzy Libris and is uh, overseeing uh, the club in the uh, warehouse that Electra has basically rented. And uh, Electra and, and uh, Butch are kind of trading verbal blows with each other and that Electra is unhappy with how Butch is peddling his stuff in the kitchen and harming people. Butch says he doesn't care, sends out a goon to take care of uh, Electra. The goon seemingly gets the upper hand on Electra and is about to deal a final blow where until he is shot by uh, Alice, uh, who just wants to protect Electra, but it's revealed that the mysterious assailant is actually an agent of the hand as we see his body dissolve. And 
Before that, we check in with Kingpin just briefly towards the end, where after he had checked in earlier, or after he had met earlier with uh, Mary, just to kind of see how she is doing and how she's settling in with the new things, uh, Wilson gets an urgent phone call that uh, Bullseye has escaped and uh, is seemingly headed on a collision course with, uh, with Kingpin. So, like I said, mostly a check-in issue, just kind of seeing what everyone is up to um, and uh, following up a couple of plot threads, you know, seeing more of the stuff in the hand, seeing Matt deal with his guilt and potentially taking a new deal with a reduced sentence and uh, seeing what's happening next with Bullseye. But um, it was a solid issue. Didn't really hone in on anything in particular, which I think I might have liked a little more. Um, and, and by jumping around to like four different subplots made it feel a little scattered at points, but you know, on the whole it was, it was solid enough. Um, and so I ended up giving this one a 7.75 out of 10. Awesome. All right. Moving on to giant sized, amazing Spider-Man. Brought to us by writer Nick Spencer with art by Rogue Antonio with Carlos Gomez and Zicarlo, Zay Carlos with color by Alex Sinclair and lettering by Joe Caramagna. Giant Size Spider-Man starts or picks up where Amazing Spider-Man left off at the culmination of the King's Ransom event. Spider-Man is called in backup from a thrown together team of the Defenders, the New Avengers, the... <laughs> Uh, a little bit of a, you know, a who's who of past rosters, mm. uh, which was a lot of fun. And they oh, yeah. uh, they then decide to, I'm going to use the word ambush, but that's not exactly the correct word. Um, the criminals who are gathering uh, down below to uh, make a distraction for Spider-Man to go in and... Uh, track down Boomerang, who is going after the tablet. Mm-hmm. Um, so Boomerang, uh, or Peter catches up with Boomerang, and they fight off some villains, and they arrange to get the tablet together, and they discover that this final stage, that you need a true hero to reach the tablet, and Pete stops Boomerang from attempting this, because while he's on the road to becoming a hero, he doesn't think he's quite there yet. Um, but then what we discover after he gets the tablet is that this was all a manipulation. Boomerang choosing to be a good guy was all part of a, an elaborate ruse to get Peter to cross the line and grab the final piece of the tablet for him. Um, so what, uh, what Pete is left with at the end is feeling a little betrayed, but also we do see some shots that Boomerang, some of this did get through and someone believing in Boomerang did mean something to him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then the other highlight in this issue is the other superheroes that Pete has gathered uh, for this mission, kind of reading him the riot act on how he's a good hero, but he's kind of a crappy friend, and that he doesn't <laughs> respond to the superhero email threads where they arrange dinners and catch ups and hangouts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just too funny. Oh, yeah. But I enjoyed Giant size amazing spider-man it was a good culmination to an arc um though if you're not super invested in the whole boomerang angle it really doesn't uh i don't i don't know that it it lands if you're not like super invested in it yeah 
beyond that, though, good good enough story. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave Giant Size Amazing Spider-Man a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, no, this... Um, I, I, I don't know. I think the, the boomerang betrayal twist um, was okay like it it didn't really land for me just because i was like i was really hoping that and i'm hoping that maybe before nick spencer uh wraps up his time on the book he'll find a way to kind of fix it but i i was really hoping that they weren't gonna go down that route of oh you know boomerang's just gonna go back to the way that he was he's a thief whatever like i thought we were gonna have some you know some genuine growth for him but um i don't know i guess i guess we'll just have to see uh, in the end, but um, yeah, I, you know, it was really cool to see the new Avengers team up again and um, kind of have one cool ride against all the mob bosses at the time. And like I said, it was just it, it was fun for that part. But um, I'm hoping that they can find a way to to change the betrayal before the end. So I also ended up giving this one a seven point five out of ten. Awesome. Next on our list is Fantastic Four Life Story, brought to us by writer Mark Russell, uh, art by Sean Isaacs, color by Nolan Woodard, and lettering by Joe Caramagna. I'm going to hand this one over to you, Brandon. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to summarize this one. I mean, I have my notes, but um, it's it's kind of hard to do just because it's, it's really just a re- presentation of the fantastic four origin but you know with a little bit of a twist and that it involves more of 60s politics and um you know jealous scientists and that sort of thing um but it's uh it's like you said it's written by mark russell who i'm a big fan of um and has done some books over at at dc in in the hanna-barbera section back when they were doing those books that i really liked but Basically, the story follows, it, it really focuses on Reed uh, in this particular issue and his, I guess, reflection on deciding to take a rocket up into space, how it kind of changed and affected his family at first, building his team up and having to live with the consequences of being completely and totally changed, um, while also dealing with the fact that while in space and while being altered by the cosmic rays, he got a brief glimpse of Galactus without any kind of explanation as to who or what he was. And he's kind of haunted by that moment uh, throughout the issue. And so it really just kind of focuses on them working together as a team throughout the years. In particular, Ben is, is really, really upset by the fact that he has been changed into the thing and it's altered the course of his life and, even though they work together, you know, and, and are, are able to do that and live up to this ideal of being this, you know, fantastic four team for the 60s, it, it really kind of is a facade um, and it's it's just not authentic and that they're not really friends and they, they just kind of work together in a public way. Um, but the years pass on, lots of things change. We see scenes of them involved in a lot of 60s, historical events like the death of JFK and they meet the Beatles and we see Sue Storm um, involved in a lot of uh, civil rights uh, movements or at least in in one scene but Reed in particular is still haunted by this image of Galactus and um, is is just unsure of what to do and 
After appearing on like this talk show, he decides to recreate the conditions of his space flight in order to re-experience the vision of Galactus. But um, before he can successfully do that, um, he is betrayed by uh, by Ben, who, in an attempt to get rid of his you know thing persona, trades his abilities with the jealous scientist who had been angry that Reed was the first you know person in space instead of him and he becomes the thing and basically um, enters the chamber while Reed is there but they both get a glimpse of Galactus and that's basically when it's revealed that by making contact with Galactus this time Galactus decides to actually come to Earth um, and we kind of follow up with that uh, you know, with the uh, scientists basically being lost in space, and as a result, Ben is uh, changed back into the thing, and, um, you know, the issue kind of keeps going on into the late 60s, where the Fantastic Four had kind of separated by that point, or at least Ben had with the rest of the four, but by the end of the 60s, Ben had returned around the birth of Franklin Richards, and uh, that's kind of where we are. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting lens, uh, into the Fantastic Four. I think I mentioned in our last episode that I'm a big fan of the Fantastic Four and I was definitely looking forward to this book as both a fan of the four and a fan of Mark Russell. And while it had its interesting moments, I think it kind of suffered from really focusing on Reed um, which is a weird thing to say, but I think in focusing on Reed, it just kind of shut out a lot of the other characters to the point where they just kind of felt interchangeable, like they were just kind of there. Um, really, the only other, you know, remarkable characters are the jealous scientist, Ben on occasion, and Sue, who is kind of acting as the rock for Reed, but doesn't doesn't get to shine enough on her own, I think. And and I I feel that for a book that really focuses on the four throughout the decades you're going to need to look at other perspectives outside of Reed. So I'm hoping that that's not the way it's going to be for the rest of the five issues, but we'll see. But um, I ended up giving this one a 7.5 out of 10. I really did like the art for this. Like, it's it's just really well done. It's really consistent. It's not standout in any way, but it's just, it's, you know, very satisfying to look at. But, you know, on the whole, um, like I said, I think just a little bit disappointing in the presentation at first at least and i wish we gotten more of the perspectives of all the fantastic four instead of really just focusing on reed um and his paranoia about galactus yeah awesome next issue on our list we've got guardians of the galaxy issue 14 brought to us by al ewing with art by juan frigeri color by federico blee and lettering by Corey petite and i'm not going to spend a lot of time summarizing this issue the bulk of this issue is spent right where Guardians of the Galaxy left off. Doctor Doom has shown up. He has taken the space sword from Hulkling. And they want it back. And he illuminates them that something terrible is coming. He has seen it and he believes he is the only one who can stop it. Uh, however, the bulk of this issue is the Guardians trying to fight Doctor Doom. And it is a lot of fun if you're a fan of like classic dr doom where he just shows up and is smarter than everyone and he's just got a technique to stop everyone 
that's this fight. Oh, it, yeah. It's this fight where you see Doctor Doom, who, for all intents and purposes, like he's he's not a god. He's not he he's not insanely powerful. He's not the Hulk or anything like that. He fights the whole like whole assembled crew of Wiccan, Hulkling, Star Lord, Rocket, Raccoon. Um, like there's there's a handful of guardians here, and he kicks their ass. <laughs> yeah. The end of this issue ends with them tricking, not tricking, but getting uh, Doom into a position where the only solution for him to deal with the incoming threat, this mysterious force that's on its way, is for him to join the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Which, honestly, kind of here for it. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So this is just a real fun SmackDown issue, if we're being honest. I don't, I don't think oh, a lot yeah. plot relevant happens here. You see him do some body switching with Hulkling, and then his armor <laughs> controls itself with Hulkling inside. It's very <laughs> fun, gimmicky fight stuff. A lot of yeah. one step ahead, one up the ship that you expect from Doom. And it's good. It's fun. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I also gave this issue a seven point five out of ten. Um, I, I guess there were really there was really only like a one major development because they've kind of been talking about this big foreboding thing that's coming. And you're not really sure what it is, and in this issue, we see after some kind of weird sacrifice, uh, ego, the living planet, which is the um, planet that the uh, like cultists were on and the guardians were investigating um, is basically turned into a, a weird space egg. That's going to be hatching something soon. And we're not sure what it is, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens next. But um, I, like I said, I also gave it a 7.5. I thought it was, you know, pretty cool SmackDown issue and definitely really fun to see doom just kind of, you know, throwing his intelligence all over the Guardians and trying to act superior. That's always fun to see. <laughs> awesome. And the last issue on our list is Amazing Spider-Man issue 66, brought to us by Nick Spencer, with art by Mike Mark Bagley, color by Brian Reber, lettering by Joe Caramagna, and ink by John Dell. And I'll hand this summary over to Brandon. Sure. So, um... This issue basically just deals with the fallout from King's Ransom, where um, we catch up with all of our characters, kind of reflecting on the results or reflecting on the events that, that just happened. Spidey's definitely feeling it the most, where Boomerang betrayed him, and he has to explain that to the new Avengers, and they have to deal with the fact that the Rose has been resurrected. Uh, meanwhile, J. Jonah Jameson is absolutely PO'd that Pete turned off his camera, um, you know, while they were in the middle of the whole lifeline tablet thing. And uh, clearly Jane, Jonah Jameson is, is not too happy about that and decides to take things into his own hands. At some point, uh, we catch up with uh, Randy Robertson and uh, Beetle, who have, you know, fully embraced their relationship at this point. And uh, that's kind of led to... Uh, Robbie and Tombstone essentially having a ceasefire, at least for now, um, in their hatred of each other, uh, just because their kids are together and they can put aside their differences, at least for now. Um, and 
we see, you know, Kingpin basically reconnecting with his resurrected son, the Rose, while Norman attempts to reconnect with his son, Kindred, um, who is basically tries to trick Norman into believing him for a second, but reveals that he had basically just been using him to get free, and clearly that'll be leading to something particularly bad. But it's it's really Pete who's feeling the worst of it, given that Randy's left him, Boomerang's left him, and he's kind of all alone. And that's when he decides to check in on an old friend, Betty Brandt, who uh, apparently is pregnant, and clearly some things have changed. And finally <laughs> we check in on... Uh, Carly Cooper, who, when we last saw her, had been kidnapped by a mysterious figure, and we see her in an unknown prison um, where she's not really sure what's going on, and that's when a mysterious voice off to the distance reassures her that it is pointless and that there really is no escape. And I won't reveal who this person is, but if you've been following the Kindred story so far, this is going to be a pretty strange reveal. Um, But like I said, this was really just kind of a post king's ransom check-in stories so nothing too you know revelatory except except for i guess that last page but um other than that just yeah kind of a solid check-in issue and i i did enjoy king's ransom so i I enjoyed kind of catching up with this here in particular it's it's i think it was interesting to kind of see pete's reflection on his current position given that he's really kind of all alone now you know he started with two roommates and now he really has no one outside of MJ and a couple others, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens next. Uh, so I ended up giving this one a 7.5 out of 10. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of our reviews. So now it's time to share our highlights and lowlights of the week. So let's start with our top three of the week, as well as our favorite moment or panel. So Brandon, I'll give it to you. What's your top three and your uh your hot moment yeah so at number three i had spider-man spider shadow you know solid issue and uh, i'm interested to see where it goes next and what what happens to pete next uh number two i had black knight number three um also interested to see where this one is going and at number one which should come as no surprise i had way of x number two absolutely incredible issue I just can't rave about it enough, and uh, I'm just super stoked to see how this series is progressing and, and what's going on with my adorable little elf, Kurt Wagner, as he <laughs> is is dealing with these horrible questions that he has to confront. Uh, but I think my favorite moment of the week, which is definitely a hard one to choose, but probably has to go to... Uh, None of those books, but uh, Immortal Hulk, Time of Monsters, and uh, basically the scene that we kind of talked about earlier where Tammuz is pulling his body back together. It was so horrifying and yet so just mesmerizing at the same time. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't stop looking at it, even though it was disgusting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that was those were my high points for this week. For my tops this week, I. It's going to be a lot of the same sentiment. I've got Black Knight in third place, Spider Shadow in second, and Way of X in first. I can't mm. uh, tout this issue enough. Its yes. first issue was great, and its second one capitalizes even further and even captures my favorite moment with, you know, Kurt essentially saying, ah, forget it, when he's praying uh, for forgiveness uh, for killing Kurt. Legion. And it's it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. If, if we haven't said it... uh clearly enough 
please go check out Way of X. It is just absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And now we read a lot of good comics around here, but we also occasionally have to read some that are not quite as good. So presenting the biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. Brandon, what was your biggest thinker of the week? Uh, my biggest thinker probably has to go to uh, Heroes Reborn, number two, or honestly, uh, Peter Parker, the Amazing Shutterbug. Those two are interchangeable. They were not that great. They were not terrible, but they were not that great. And honestly, I don't really have much else to say about those. They just they just bored me immensely, and uh, I, I'm I'm tired of the gimmick of trying to be the DC stuff. It could have been interesting, but the presentation is not, and that's really all I have to say. Yeah, I'm gonna echo that. Heroes Reborn number two is the one uh, that I gave the biggest thinker to. Peter Parker Shutterbug at least tried to do something fun with its mm-hmm. its take on Peter. It's cool to see something alternate with him, so it edged it out. Heroes yeah. Reborn 2, though, it is just Hyperion being Hyperion and <laughs> being as cheesy about it as possible, and he's just yeah. fighting Ultron, Galactus, and just... Ugh. The other thing about him in, that bugs me in the way they present him is he is being presented as the way people who don't like Superman think Superman is. Right. Oh, Yeah. People, yeah, I definitely felt that. Yeah, people say people who don't like Superman, they always say, "Oh, he's too perfect. He's too powerful. Nothing ever challenges him. He's boring." Yeah. This is what actually that this is what that Superman would look like. Oh, he's just punching a hole through Galactus and throwing away Ultron like nothing, and just just feeding the Hulk in two panels. Yeah, like he, he. This is the Superman that everyone thinks is boring, and we're getting comics about him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ugh. And that's the show. I want to thank everyone for coming, and I want to thank you, the audience, for all of your support. Remember, you can like, share, uh, and support our show to get more of the content you love. And you can go to notarobotpodcast.com to support our Patreon, where we have tiers starting at just $1 a month. With that said, there's only one way we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot.